You're listening to the Ones Ready Podcast, a team of Air Force Special Operators forged in combat with over 70 years of combined operational experience, as well as a decade of selection instructor experience. If you're tired of settling and you want to do something you truly believe in, you're in the right place. Now here's your favorite CCT personality, JTAC extraordinaire, embracer of the ridiculous face, and like the shortest operator you'll ever meet, Peaches. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Ones Ready Podcast. We're happy that you joined us today. Uh, Today, we have a special guest, Dr. Kate Pate. She is a neuroscientist, a combat trauma medical researcher, and she's also the CEO and co-founder of the the unfortunately named Corona Medical. (laughs) So before we go on and we have you introduce yourself and start with the questions and everything, we want to cover at least one of our partners. So... We're going to talk about hoist today. So with hoist, you get your IV level hydration um, in one bottle ready to go. There's no mixing. Tastes great chilled. And I tell you what, the flavors are incredible. Drinking on a pinch mango right now. So. Dragon fruit. I got to go dragon fruit. You know what's funny is it's the only it's the only one of these drinks I've ever found that I can drink mid-workout. So I drank one yeah. mid-workout the other day. It's it's just great. Like I, It's not too sugary or whatever. I actually uh, I was pleasantly surprised by that. Yep. Yeah, it's not it's not real thick syrupy. Um, it's got seven grams of carbs, seven grams of sugar, in uh, per serving. So it's good to go. And if you guys want to go check them out, go to Hoist and then use the promo code Ones Ready, and that'll get you a discount. And they are pretty quick at shipping out those cases. So. Uh, like we always do, we want to thank you for your support and thank you for listening. Um, you guys are the whole reason why we do this. Um, for this episode in particular, it's going to be important for for you know recruits and candidates to pay attention to it. But at the same time, as as someone like the, all of us on here that have been in the military for what at least fifteen years at this point, I think Brian, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. So fifteen years jumping out of planes, fast roping, getting our bells rung, you know, some of us, if not all of us, have had IEDs and the whole deal. So we deal with traumatic brain injury. Well, this is also important if you're a team guy that's out there, whether you're whether you're on a team or not, really, because if you hit your noggin, you could be in the hurt locker. So that's why we want to cover that today. And Dr. Pate is actually an expert on it. So Doc, could you give us some of the details about your background and how you end up being a mental health expert? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I I don't know that I would consider myself an expert at this point. I think the only thing I'm an expert in is my own experience, but I, you know, I try to learn as much as I can and, um, and and continue to to pick up new information and and try and, you know, disseminate that out to the public and, and integrate it into my own life. But um, th- that said, I'm not a clinical psychologist or a mental health counselor. So for anyone listening, this is coming from the perspective of uh, my life lived, but also from my training as a neurophysiologist, which um, started off with that. I uh, got a PhD uh, from the University of Florida and basically neurophysiology, for those of you listening, it's the study of the brain body connection. And for me, the first place that I started to explore that was like with the uh, breath. So respiratory system and how that connection could influence physiology and uh, breath could also influence your stress response system. And from there I branched out. um, I have tons of interests and I just decided to pursue them all. So 
went into a bunch of different areas. Neurotrauma was always of interest to me. So I um, definitely focused on that for part of my postdoctoral research, but I also studied everything else from cancer and radiation biology to lung infection and arthritis um, and just a ton of other areas. And um, neurotrauma was always the, the area most interesting to me. And I studied traumatic brain injury and spinal cord injury and um, basically the neuroinflammation and um, redox biology changes that happen after some sort of uh, event, a neurotraumatic event, and ways to potentially like mitigate that inflammation um, post-injury. And then from there, I actually went uh, to teach at the medical school here in Colorado, um, and I taught first and second year phys, um, primarily respiratory and renal, but was in a bunch of other areas as well. And was the director of research there. And then um, through all of the work that I had been doing, I crossed paths with somebody in uh, industry and they were actually developing a military medical research program. Um, but this is an aerospace engineering firm, so they didn't really know what they were doing. <laughs> um, <laughs> they were just like, we need help. Uh, anyone in the medical field could, could help us. That'd be great. Um, and so my background, I come from a military family and had been doing tons of research in the medical arena. So it was a nice transition for me to be able to take my career and, and focus on my passion of working with the military um, and turn that into like a new career path for me. So I left academia and went into industry. And from there, I basically started this combat casualty care research program. And after a couple of years, uh, my business partner and I decided to spin it out into uh, Karuna, not Corona Medical. <laughs> and um, right now, is, we've got some government funding to study... Um, new research ideas and, and products for battlefield trauma. Um, so like physical trauma, uh, not, not uh, psychological trauma at this stage. Um, and in, yeah, we've been doing that and been focused on that, but because of the work that I've been doing in this military arena and because my, one of my brothers is um, a 12 year GWAT veteran, I just create cross paths with a lot of folks in both active duty and in the veteran space. And, got pulled into some nonprofits and have been for the past few years, really diving in deep with this whole mental health topic through these different organizations and really trying to wrap my head and hands around this extremely complex and difficult and extremely important subject. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, I was going to ask what drew you to veterans, but that kind of makes sense uh, with your family and everything. Yep. So you guys, um, you, you do, these kind of retreats, and I won't go into details about them because I know that it's somewhat of a polarizing topic discussion. Um, so I won't necessarily go into detail on those, but like you guys help veterans all the time. You have retreats and you have, um, you know, care camps or whatever, you know, it's probably a poor choice of words, but like to date, how many veterans do you think that you've, you've treated so far that have TBIs and PTSD? Yeah, um, that's a really good question. And and to be honest, I, I don't know the answer to that because there's been so, uh, so these different organizations I work with um, focus on different aspects of like, they're all kind of alternative ways of addressing mental health and enabling people to um, like, rather than thinking about it as like me or my team treating people, think about it as like us enabling people to sort of like treat themselves, if you will. Um and so there's been different approaches, retreats, certainly. Um, there are, uh, and that's a, an organization called Heroic Hearts Project, but then there's other organizations as well that do um, more 
trying to bring awareness to um, like physical movement and uh, alternative practices like yoga and breath work, uh, even adventure therapy. And all these different organizations are actually veteran founded. And, and what they've been doing is trying to um, like they, they found something that worked for them to address their own mental health issues. And then they just want to share that with others. And so through my, all of my volunteer work with these different organizations, there have been, I, I just, uh, tons, honestly, tons of, right. of veterans who have gone through the programs and had success in a variety of ways. And I think one of the most difficult things um, that we've seen uh, success in is um, PTSD is one area. Um, there have been vets who have gone through the program yeah, with that's a, that's um, a big one. pretty severe suicidal ideation uh, and depression and nothing else has worked. They've gone to see the VA and the story there is very common. Uh, <laughs> yeah, which is you get those cracks out of it, you might make YouTube. And, you know, for a small percentage of people, I think that those things can be effective. But uh, for the majority of people, I think they're more they, they more offset your normal mental health and physiology than you're trying to mm -hmm. kind of come back from all of that. Um, which is why I think there's such a draw to these alternative therapies because the traditional paths just aren't working for folks. Um, and when you have something like, like a TBI underlying all of these other mental health issues, um, it's a really complex thing and, and we don't really know the right medications for folks like that. And so it's really, uh, like a <laughs> trial and error for people and, 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 men and women become guinea pigs and that is, you know, not helpful at all. Um, so it becomes a really complex process, which is why all these different organizations are popping up within the veteran community and outside of it too, um, to really provide assistance to other folks, um, who might be struggling in a similar way and just need another tool in the toolbox. And I don't think that there is one thing that really solves the problems for anyone. I think it's like, you know, you just throw all of the tools that you can at it. And hopefully each piece is addressed in some way with one of those tools that you have. Yeah. And I, I like that kind of mindset of, we're going to show you the tools, alternative medicine to help yourself. So, I mean, you know, I, you know, I see a chiropractor, I don't really think it's doing anything. It feels good, but, but if I go do a month <laughs> worth of yoga, then I, I mean, I feel better. My, I have zero back pain at that point, you know? Yeah. yeah. And doc, I wanted to, I wanted to talk to you about this too. Cause I'm, I'm a big yoga guy. Like if I don't do my normal, so I, you know, do on it durability flows and stuff like that. And if I don't, I can feel a noticeable difference. And I also noticed other benefits as well, like with stress tolerance and those, that stuff that you were talking about. Can you kind of take us through, um, you know, if you could give kind of that holistic recommendation, like, Hey guys, this is the baseline. If you could do these things, would it be learning how to, how to breathe or, or meditating or maybe doing a yoga practice, what would be kind of that baseline prescription that you would, you would want people to start at before they got all the way to the, to the back end, which is kind of you on the, on the very far end? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a really good question because I think the idea is like preventing, like fortifying people to maybe, uh, avoid getting to that really <laughs> difficult place. Um, but if you're in that difficult place, like these things also still work and, and would apply. Uh, I think the, one of the hardest things for, for folks who have been trained to, uh, ignore, um, their own pain for this greater, you know, mission or whatever it might be, um, people who are in the military or who are in, you know, first responder situations or whatever, it, you have to kind of bury a lot of your stuff and you lose connection, even just 
feeling into and understanding what's going on with yourself, like there's a disconnect sometimes. So I think the first place that people should really focus is cultivating awareness. Like not only what am I thinking, what are my thoughts like today, but like actually how does it feel in my body? Not just like, oh, that super bad injury that hurts. It's like, I don't know. I never really think about what's happening in my calf muscle. Like, let's just go see what that feels like today. And, you know, in just like different sensations and it sounds super hokey, but just start there. Um, bring that, that, that awareness and that mindfulness. But from there, um, the idea or the goal would be to do things that are restorative to your nervous system. So trying to focus on alternative therapies that promote like a parasympathetic or the rest and digest part of your nervous system, because for people in this line of work uh, or similar lines of work, you are in a fight or flight, sympathetic nervous system state the majority of the time. Your stress response system is always turned on and it has to be. Um, and I understand that. And it's it's part of what makes people effective. But you can only do that for so long before it has really detrimental consequences. And so really figuring out how to titrate that high stress with some of these more restorative practices is really important. And the first thing that you can do that's accessible to everybody is breathing exercises. A lot of people don't like meditation because it's like, it's just this weird concept of like, how does one meditate? It's too far. Yeah. It's like, it, yeah, you can't sit there and pretend like that's a bridge too far for people to start on. Yeah. So you believed in Santa Claus for like 15 years, but you can't believe in yourself for 10 seconds at a time. Get out of here. Right. <laughs> well, and it's weird too, because there's so many different types of meditation practices and everybody's just like, it's too much. I don't, you know, I don't understand it, but breath work is super simple. Um, you can do what's called resonant breathing. Um, so if you have you know, heart rate monitor that's really accurate, um, that can measure HRV, you can use that. There's some apps out there that basically help you promote uh, a resonant state of breathing, which basically is to maximize heart rate variability. And we know when somebody's super stressed out, your heart rate variability plummets and you're just in a sympathetic overdrive. So if you can focus on doing this resonant breathing exercise, which is, if you don't have any of this, you can kind of think about it as breathing, like inhaling for four or five seconds and then exhaling for five or six seconds. So just like a little bit longer on the exhale, but try to get six ish breaths per minute. Um, that, that tends to promote heart rate variability and also promote this parasympathetic nervous system state. So that's something that you can just do set a little metronome on your phone and just start breathing. Um, there are also a ton of these yoga apps out there and meditation. So like Headspace, I know a lot of people are on that program and it makes it super simple um, where you can take something that you wouldn't normally have access to, but now you can just take, even if it, honestly, like five minutes, three minutes, like whatever you can start with. Um, everybody's all over the place, especially folks with TBIs, like your ability to focus and stay present is de severely diminished a lot of times. Um, and you got to start where you're at. You can't just shoot for an hour of meditation. You're going to lose your, your mind. So start small, start where you're at, and then gradually increase your tolerance over time. Uh, it's like building CO2 tolerance. Just do the same thing for mental health uh, and your ability to focus and, and cultivate awareness. Um, you know, yoga obviously is a great one. That's super important, especially for um, this, what I mentioned before about the nervous system, but also just people who've experienced trauma, um, really learning how to be in your body in the like physical vehicle that has actually experienced trauma can actually be really healing for, for people. Um, 
And exercise is another one, cardiovascular exercise in particular, especially for people with TBIs because of the ability to promote, to decrease inflammation, but to promote neuroplasticity through upregulation of molecules like uh, BDNF, which is uh, really important for forming new synaptic connections in the brain um, and restoring some healthy, uh, the wiring of healthy circuits in the brain. Yeah, those are things like right at people's fingertips that they can start doing. You, you tracking all this, Trent? Can you give us a read back real quick just to let us know that you understood? <laughs> I'm tracking. You, you breathe and then you exercise and then yeah. something else and then yoga. I don't know, man. It was, it was all He's a, got little, it. Uh, a little blurry. He's obviously got it. You know, the, uh, the first time I started taking breathing seriously was when somebody explained it as the only thing in your body that's normally like completely automatic that you can take control over whenever you want. You can't Mm -hmm. take control over your heartbeat. You can't take control over any other bodily function at will except for your breathing. And that's why it's so important. That's obviously not Aaron Love speaking. I stole that from somebody else. The first time I started taking breathing seriously was when I went to Indoc and I could got taken away and I was like, Whoa, I don't want that taken (laughs) away anymore. I really like it. What are you guys doing? Yeah. I really like this. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't realize that I really needed that that much. Yeah. <laughs> and now and now we've come full circle because we all agree that it's a crutch. You don't need it. You can you'll be totally fine without it. <laughs> At least for a little while. <laughs> so doc, that's uh that's kind of like the prescription for the for the very base level, right? Like let's hope everybody does that. But let's say that there's the bridge, there's that line in your head where you're like, okay, I think I'm doing everything that I'm supposed to here. Um, but I'm not really feeling like I'm doing everything that I should be. So how do they start looking for that professional help, right? So let's say, you know, the mindfulness, the the yoga, the breathing, they're doing what they're supposed to, but they're still feeling like they got to reach out. How's the, what would you, what would you say is the first way that they reach out and, and talk to somebody about professional help? Yeah, that's a, that's another good question. I, you know, I think that, um, a lot of people mistrust mental health professionals because they've had bad experiences. I certainly have. I've, probably been through, I don't know, countless therapists before you find the right one. And, you know, I, I know that a lot of people feel like they should only go see therapists when they're at rock bottom, but it's a maintenance thing. You, you know, you get, you get your oil changed before your car, you know, breaks down on the side of the road. It's same thing with mental health. And I think that it's really important to, um, find somebody, even if it's not a mental health professional, but like somebody that you can trust that you can have that discussion with, uh, on a regular basis that is, um, able to hold what you're, you know, you're letting out there. Not everybody is. Um, but that's really important. And I think that people should seek, maybe ask, you know, I, I think a lot of people are always asking friends, like, do you know of anyone good who can handle this, especially in this community where, um, experiences are really unique. If you have a civilian therapist who has never been through any of the things that you guys have been through, I wouldn't say that they couldn't be an excellent um, mental health counselor or professional for you. I would just say that there are some things they're not going to be able to understand. And um, that can be really important for connection, but for also working through what it is that you're working through. So asking within the community um, if somebody has a therapist that they've been working with or a mental health professional that they've been working with can be helpful for people who are afraid to ask, because I know that that carries with it a lot of stigma. And uh, I was talking to a buddy of mine the other day, and he was saying, like, even in the team room, like, no one talks about these things because you're just afraid of getting the boot, or you know, like it just it's mm-hmm. it, it's like you're unstable and therefore undependable. So you know, how do you <laughs> how do you have those conversations without that fear? 
Um, and I think that it, you just have to own it. You have to kind of strike out a little bit on your own and um, start exploring some other options. Uh, I mean, I think the best thing is to find um, a mental health professional that resonates with you that can understand what it is that you're experiencing. And, you know, you may have to try a couple before you find the right one. Um, that's not uncommon. So I would just encourage people to not give up, but to find somebody that they can you know, see on a regular well, basis. It's a, it's a relationship. Yeah. yeah. yeah it's a, it's a two-way yeah, street. Right? You I have think to develop it like anything else. Yeah. Absolutely. My, my first mental health professional I ever saw was a tech sergeant that had similar experiences to me, you know, and it, it helps you open up and go down that path and start talking about the things that you might not even recognize you've, you've buried and, and put behind you, you know, and then just getting him, getting me to open up a little bit, uh, kind of paved the way for the, some more professional, uh, help in the, in the future. Yep. Yeah, that's awesome. And that, that's exactly it. That's, you know, finding people with relatable experiences who, um, you can share things with is really important. And I think that's also just a part of general, like human, human healing where we we're tribal, like in <laughs> historically we're a tribal species. And this is stuff that, you know, you'd go through difficulty, you'd share with your brothers and sisters and like the whole community would hold it for you. And, now everybody's carrying these burdens completely alone in silence and it's crushing people. And it's because we weren't supposed to be doing it this way. And, you know, certain industries, certain professions make it difficult to, um, to be open. And I understand that, but, um, yeah, we got to put some other things in place to help make sure that people are going to be okay through all that. Yeah. Especially with Corona right yeah. now. I mean, people are just kind of isolated and losing their mind, not going outside. Yeah. Um, Off I mean, on people, your own island. People are, yeah. People are yelling at each other just because they're not wearing masks. Or, I mean, it's just crazy out there right now. Yep. Yeah. Here in Denver. Can we just love each other for a little bit? Jeez. <laughs> What's that? Can't we just love each other for yeah. a little Can bit? Can we just love each <laughs> other for a little PJ bit? the thing you've ever said. <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> everything I could. He didn't finish it with bro, though. <laughs> bro. I didn't. No. Bro. I, I, I think that's a good segue, though, the the alone and being crushed into the, the question. And it's not a fun question to ask, but it's something that affects all of us in the military. And that's the, uh, the suicide um, issue that we're having. You know, we all know people that have uh, not been the success story that we are. And they've gone down that, that road and, and uh, you know, ended it all. So... Uh, for for all of us that are you know and all of our teammates and all the candidates out there, you know what are how do we how does someone get there I guess or how what do we do how do we recognize it and what's the 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 best way to get someone to off ramp you know that path Yeah, um, suicide is is poorly understood at this point. Um, sadly, it's like we just don't we don't know why some people go that route and others don't. I mean there are things that we understand about it, um, maybe some, some correlations with things like lack of social support uh, is a huge one. Um, PTSD is also associated with a higher suicide risk, um, uh, brain injuries, various things that we can point to to say, hey, this may not be a cause, but we see a pattern. Um, it's something to have awareness around for your, your friends and your family of course, if, if they meet those criteria of like, they're alone, they've been through the shit, they've, you know, whatever it is, that's awareness that the rest of us need to have about the people in our circle. But we also need to, to bring that awareness to ourselves. 
Um, and this is where keeping on top of your mental health and checking in, noticing when you're going down into that spiral um, and trying to, to stop that process um, for yourself or others before it gets to the point of no return. Um, I think a lot of what feeds into it, as I mentioned before, is this lack of social support where we don't share the burden anymore. We are holding on to too much that is, uh, it's, it's, we don't know how to manage it. We weren't taught that. And not only that, but in order to continue to function in the world, in our jobs, we have to put on this brave face. Um, and it's really an inauthentic an, an part of ourselves that we're presenting to the world, because if we were really true to what's happening, we would be honest and say, Hey, this is what I'm dealing with. Instead. It's like, I'm super stoic. I'm super tough. I'm going to get through it, but it's this inauthentic self that we're presenting to the world. And I think that in and of itself is an injury to a person on a very deep level when you're not able to just be yourself and you're also holding on to these really heavy things. Um, and so social support is something that we absolutely have to improve upon. And it's not just, you know, you see this on social media all the time, like text your buddy and let's talk about mental health. And it's like, Hey, Hey, cool. Yes. But also let's like actually do something further just shooting off a text and checking that box. Like I checked in with so-and-so it's good. Or, you know, let's have a discussion around mental health. It's like, we need to put things into place and take action. Um, so I think that those are, those are really important things to keep in mind. I think the other thing to, to think about too, is with our own mental health, um, you know, we, we invest so much energy time into fortifying ourselves physically and mentally in some, in some regards for the jobs that we do. Um, but we don't often take that same approach to like emotional or overall mental health where we don't put the reps in. And we sometimes need to like Goggins it a bit and take this like hard lined approach to, it's like tough love for yourself where it's almost, you know, stop being a little bitch today. Like go to the gym, you know, whatever it is, like you got to sometimes just do that. Right. That's perfect. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, you just have to take that approach, but there are other people who can't, they can't snap themselves out of it like that. It's not going to work because especially for people who have had TBIs in the past, you don't just have this ability to kind of like, you know, slap yourself around and like get after it. It's, it's a lot harder. And so maybe rather than this tough love hardline approach to what you're going through, maybe you actually need something gentler and maybe more compassion for what you're going through. Um, and that it's again, it's like what, what I was saying before about maybe taking three minutes to meditate instead of shooting for like a whole 60 minute session, tiny little wins, you know, you just gotta, you gotta do what you can. Um, and for those who, and, I, and I'm right there with you for, um, having experienced friends and family who have, uh, decided to take their own lives. It's so hard. And you always blame yourself. I could have done more. I should have done more. Um, and it's really difficult for me to wrap my mind around it because there's a huge part of me that says we can intervene. We can stop this with enough you know, headway before somebody gets to that point, we can put in the work to make sure that never happens. Um, but I think there's also this point where when someone has made that decision, there isn't anything that you could have said or done and, and they move forward and that choice has been made. Um, I think a lot of suicide attempts are really a cry for help as people have you know heard it referred to before, but it's, it's this acknowledgement of like, I don't see things getting better. 
my life is the absolute worst. It's so dark here and I don't want to go on. I can't go on and I need somebody to come save me. And that's that, that scream for connection and for support that that person wasn't feeling. So for the unsuccessful attempts, those are more about people trying to receive help, you know, and that's the stuff that those are the people where we can intervene and, and do something. And I think, again, just to beat the dead horse, this, this social support is like the root of all of it. And then all, all of these other things that we mentioned before really help build um, and promote resilience. But, you know, suicide is definitely a difficult topic and um, it, it's, it's been tough, especially as of late um, to see so many people. And I think COVID has really played into that um, with this isolation and, you know, for people who might seek support, they haven't been able to get it. So. Um, right. And I think a big thing in our community is that most people don't really say anything's a problem until the wheel falls off. Yeah. And we're just like, Whoa, what just happened? Like, why did this guy just freak out on everybody? And, you know, mm-hmm. you know, storm into the team room or storm out of the team room. And he's just starting to drink all the time and he's just a different person now. So yeah. it's, it's difficult in that type of team room, like you were talking about uh, situation where everyone wants to be the tough guy. And it's, it's, uh, you know, just kind of a culture. We're always competitive. No one wants to be the guy who's the one that's, you know, holding everyone else back because you had to raise your hand and do whatever. But, you know, that's part of the honesty that we were, we always talk about and being able to talk to your teammates. Um, so kind of brings me into the, another topic here, similar, um, but along the same vein is just, you know, we, we have a big audience that are prepping for selection and they're getting ready to go into this whole thing and they see the end results of like what we're talking about here. Like, man, these guys must all be really messed up. Like, I don't think that is the, the truth of the matter. You know, most of the guys are able to deal with it um, fairly well. Um, what would you say for those guys that are coming in right now um, that they can do to build up the resilience? And, you know, if something happens, just like if, you know, an athlete, if something happens to them, they bounce back a lot quicker. What would you say for someone mental health wise that they can utilize um, whatever tools or anything yeah. to help bounce, bounce back a little bit quicker? Um, I would say put in as much effort to your uh willingness to embrace emotional discomfort as you are to your physical discomfort. Um, because that isn't something that we pay attention to. And while people are training their asses off every, you know, waking moment of concentration into trying to achieve this goal, don't leave out this other piece. And everybody has something to pull from. Like anyone who's joining the military, uh, has at least 18 years of life lived. And a lot of, for a lot of people, those are the most traumatic, to be honest. I mean, for a lot of people, (laughs) the first 18 years of their lives are worse than anything else they're going to go through. So we all have stuff to draw on that we can use to, uh, like remember and focus on the fact that like you made it through that but, but also put yourself in situations that are going to be uncomfortable in the same way that you're like, I'm going to go swim in, you know, 40 degree water and I'm going to do whatever else you're going to do, right. That it's extremely uncomfortable, but you know, that this is coming and you're prepping and, and, and fortifying yourself in the same way, have difficult conversations, open up, be vulnerable, do all of these things and recognize like you're building healthy neural pathways that are going to allow you to if you experience trauma down the road, which you will, you're human, it's going to happen. You'll, you'll have a healthy 
wiring of your nervous system and your stress response because of those reps that you put in and your mental health training and your emotional discomfort training and all of those things that when you experience difficulty and if it's so bad, it is a, a traumatic event, your brain will not turn it into something like PTSD. Or if you do sustain a TBI, you have a really healthy uh, nervous system and you've, you've put in enough work that you have this sort of bedrock of neuroplasticity to rely on um, and to, to get back to. So again, like I know it's really a, a, probably an, uh, an abstract um, idea for a lot of people to think about how to do that, but, but really seek out like all of these diff- difficult and different things that you can do um, that you wouldn't normally, but that are on the same level as like your physical preparation. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, just going back to that whole thing, like when a person does experience a TBI and some of them, some kind of event like that, do you think there's anything that they can do immediately after? Like, you know, we do the downtime immediately after the deployments. Now we do the, the two weeks of recuperation and relaxation while we're in wherever we're, we're stopping over. Is there anything that they can do during that time? Um, to just kind of decompress or anything specifically. I know some of the things like are talking to the group and we kind of share our experiences or debrief kind of everything that went on. Is there anything else specifically? Because I know some guys, you know, stuff that happens when you're at selection, it can be fairly bad for some guys. Or even, you know, thinking back to basic training, we had some guys that uh, unfortunately have a lower stress tolerance and they just – never experienced someone yelling at them before. So they ended up just, you know, kind of having a bad day and having to be sent out of basic training. So what can they do kind of in the moment of that they're getting yelled at or something? Those people for folding clothes. You think that's what got them? (laughs) Was it the folding the underwear thing? Did you have one of those dudes that were, that's the only thing that I ever remember distinctly (laughs) is folding my underwear and being like, this is silly. I remember there was a dude that just lost it after we were done. I forgot why exactly, but I remember him sitting in a chair and he was yelling at everybody and he was like spitting on people. And I was like, what is going on with this guy right now? Like, Like I don't know. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Some wow. people just have some lower stress tolerances. And if you're going through that kind of stuff, that's the mystery. <laughs> yeah. EMT got hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think with, with regard to TBI, I think that, uh, there are absolutely things you can do. I think that one of the most important things is rest following the injury. You know, you have this excitotoxic event in your brain essentially, and you need to just let things kind of calm down and stressing yourself further through physical activity or mental, you know, focus or anything like that can be really, um, challenging and detrimental for the brain in trying to recover and and repair itself. Um, So rest is important after a certain period of time, uh, cardiovascular exercise has been prescribed, uh, certainly low impact, nothing like too intense. But the other thing I would tell people is as soon as you can following that kind of event, um, start trying to meditate. And I, again, like I hate to come back to that, but we do know from, from neuroscience studies that, um, you can have um, gray matter thickening with uh, meditation and potentially neurogenesis, um, which is also kind of related to this exercise concept and promoting BDNF and other molecules. But there's there are certain things like that that you can do to kind of rebuild um, and, re- and promote uh, healthy connections and potentially even new growth um, and new new wiring in the brain. So things that are, you know, certainly promoting that parasympathetic state that I mentioned before are all going to, um, as far as the people who lost it over folding underwear, I don't have much for them. 
know <laughs> what that's about. I think, you know, again, like with regard to stress response, a lot of people don't know how they're going to respond to something until they're in it. They think that they're super tough or super, super weak. And then the shit hits the fan. And then all of a sudden they were the total opposite of what they thought. And that's pretty common. I think a lot of people just don't have an idea, uh, especially if they don't have any stress inoculation uh, or training around it, it's kind of like a crapshoot as to how you're going to be. But that's, I think, of course, where, as you guys know, like this is, um, this, the stress training is super important, but there, there will still be people who go through that and have, um, inexplicable outcomes and, you know, difficulty in dealing with, with their experiences. Yeah. It's funny when you're, when you're going through the pipeline and stuff and you're, whether you're at the pool or you're doing some kind of task, at sometimes, depending on what the task is, you're sitting here going like, why are we doing this? This is dumb. I don't, <laughs> you know, this sucks too. But um, what they don't see is what you're talking about is that stress inoculation so that when you are put into a bad situation, you can do exactly what we've talked about in the past, which is remain calm, have an even keel, give yourself the chance to make a good decision. Even if it's not the 100% solution, an 80% solution is better than making no decision at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And so, then, uh, go ahead, Brian. Yeah, just the last thing, because I wanted to cover it. I brought it up in the beginning. Um, we were kind of talking about it, but just out of those people that you see have TBI, PTSD, um, how, what percentage would you say are actually able to be functional or, you know, if they're cooperative with the treatment regimen that they're given are able to be functional just for those people. Cause I get questions about, you know, a parent's asking what is the actual prevalence of PTSD and is my son or daughter going to, you know, end up not being a functional member of society anymore. So just yeah. to cover that. Yeah. Um, so PTSD is interesting in that um, it's talked about quite a bit because it is so uh, it affects people's lives so so greatly. Um, for people who experience a traumatic event, which it's not it's not just a difficult experience; it's actual like really traumatic, where you think that you are going to die. You know that that likelihood is there, or you witness somebody who's tra- traumatized. Um, the people who experience that and go on to develop a maladaptive stress response, which can manifest as PTSD or like sub threshold PTSD or complex PTSD, all these different diagnoses, it's, it can be the estimates in the literature are around 20%. And that's kind of on the high range. Some people suspect that it's lower than that. Um, at any given point, um, it's, it's also estimated that, for men and women, both that the prevalence of PTSD, uh, that people experience that and and have been diagnosed is under 10% for both genders. Although women are typically more likely to develop PTSD than men are. Um, so it sounds really low, but again, these are people who have actually been diagnosed. And what I'll say about PTSD is that there are so many symptoms of it. It's really complicated that when people go in to see a doctor or mental health professional, if they're not really, really well trained, um, they'll miss the diagnosis and just say, this person is, um, you know, uh, irritable. This person has insomnia. This person is, um, just depressed, uh, whatever it might be. And they're missing that diagnosis. So I don't want to say that the numbers are greatly, you know, elevated above what I just said, but I'd imagine that there are more people who could meet that criteria. And maybe if they don't, they're certainly, you know, encompassing quite a few of those symptoms for some people who, who develop PTSD. Um, I think that they, there's like this third rule, like the thirds, 
Uh, for people who develop it, a third will spontaneously recover, uh, which means they don't meet the diagnosis. It doesn't mean that they're okay. It just means that they don't meet the diagnosis anymore. Um, a third of people will um, maintain it and it'll resolve with effective treatment. And then a third of people, uh, it, it won't resolve. So um, unless they, and they'll have severe symptoms unless they seek effective treatment. So I think that um, the key underlying all of this is that like you have to treat it and there, there's a, again, like you have to apply all these tools. And when you talk about PTSD, people need to understand that it's not a disease and you can overcome it. It's not, I was talking about this uh, with a friend the other day. It's not a disease like diabetes is where you can manage it, but you PTSD overcome and you just need to rewire your stress response, which has gone haywire because a really traumatic event and that's possible, but you may need to take, you may need to do psychotherapy with uh, exercise and yoga. You may need to do multiple things. And the idea is to utilize all these tools to remove the highly active stress response system from these different memories that you have. And that's absolutely possible. We know that for a fact. So it can take time if something isn't working for someone and, you know, parents are concerned, it try multiple things and, um, don't give up because there are things that will work. It's just a matter of figuring out what is right for that one person. So, um, that's the, the best I have without knowing, yeah. you know, these individual well, people, but, um, I would say to have hope because these things absolutely can be, uh, overcome. And I think that's really awesome to hear because a lot of people think, you know, based on what movies are like Lieutenant Dan or whoever that they've seen in movies and they're like, this guy's messed up for life. He's always just going to have nightmares. He's always just going to have, you know, this thing because that's who he is. And, you know, like you made that analogy between diabetes and the PTSD. It's really great to hear that, you know, things can be overcome. Yeah. In the movies, PTSD is a death exactly. Hollywood yeah. never gets it wrong. I think. Yeah. And one more thing too, that I want to say about it is that like for anyone listening who either has been diagnosed or is concerned about somebody um, or themselves, one of the things we absolutely do know from the literature is that um, PTSD involves trauma and that trauma is, it greatly affects your physiology and your body and your stress response. And so the only way to overcome it and the most effective way to overcome it is through um, processing a lot of this, uh, these emotional, emotionally charged memories through, through body work. So like, there's this whole, there's this whole theory and there's a lot of research around it that shows that, um, kind of what happens to the body and like, like trauma is stored in the body. And unless you work with it and and allow that to, um, to play out essentially, like you had a traumatic experience, you were halted. It never actually came to completion. Um, and there's a theory in this that's wrapped up in animal physiology. Like when you watch, uh, like a gazelle get attacked and, uh, by a mountain lion and then it escapes and you watch what happens and you can record what, what's going on in its nervous system. Then the similar, a similar process happens in humans. And a lot of times we just aren't allowed to have that trauma resolved. And so a lot of people who are trying to, to work with trauma and overcome PTSD and they haven't found success, try taking a bodywork approach and finding a somatic based uh, therapist. Um, those people really uh, have a lot of, of tools for, for people who have some sort of resistant PTSD. So just put that out there. Yeah. I don't know. I don't think that the pharmaceutical company is, is the answer or the end all be all. Obviously there are medications that people need, 
but I think you've got to be willing and able to take care of yourself. And a lot of people, they just don't know, you know, hey, I, I don't know. All I hear is is yoga and there's these people that are doing insane balance poses. It's like, hey, you can do regular yoga without doing all that stuff and still get all the benefits. You just have to be able or willing to go rather. Absolutely. And yoga, it, the, the balancing postures or postures in general, it's one part. There's meditation, there's breath work, there's self-study, there's, you know, all of these different parts of what yoga is. And all we see because of social media is just like super awesome, bendy people doing cool shit that we'll never be able to do. And that's not at all what it's about. So in yeah. I, was say, I think, I think you do actually. <laughs> that, that ain't me. Yeah. Honey. <laughs> Pretty sure I make I've a lot of different some, noises uh, when I do yoga. Like one one handed, yeah. It's, pretty sure I've seen some one handed <laughs> uh, handstands or something like that. I'm not that flexible. I can just do handstands. That's about it. Yeah. <laughs> so, h- how much of this mental illness issues that we are seeing um, is related to TBIs? Do you think? And I, I don't need a an exact number, but I, you know, as somebody who has TBI who sees a, a neurologist and had multiple MRIs and I've got, you know, I guess probably not the right word hemorrhages maybe dark in the brain. Yeah. yeah. Dark, dark spots. Yep. Um, but, but I feel fine. I'm not, I'm not somebody who's broken. I don't have PTSD. Um, so how, like, cause I, we all know, we, I'm pretty sure we all know somebody, um, probably the same person that they were in a very traumatic firefight for about three weeks got blown up several times and he is not the same person he was prior to that. And that is probably down to the TBI. So how much of that is related? Do you think? Um, so traumatic brain injuries often cause symptoms that appear similar to somebody with PTSD. Um, and other mental health issues, because for instance, like with, with uh, somebody who's in the both acute and chronic stage of a traumatic brain injury, you might have sleep disturbances, you might have nightmares, you might be extremely irritable, you might um, be uh, overly aggressive, you might have avoidant behaviors, um, you know, you, you could be depressed, your outlook on life has changed, all of these different things can be part of a, of a TBI outcome and symptoms from it. And that looks similar for some folks to uh, what PTSD is, but it also just points to mental health related issues. So if you have TBI and and you develop depression, um, it's probably because of that TBI. I mean, there's no way to to separate all of that out. We can't, you know, do that yet. But um, when you didn't have it before, and then you experience a brain injury, and then you're a different person, you can have profound changes. And to address the mental health components that are related to an actual injury of your brain, like a mechanical injury rather than a psychological injury, it isn't that different um, of an approach to healing. You have to, now for somebody who has like severe damage to their brain, um, there are some things that can't be repaired necessarily, but it doesn't mean you can't overcome whatever deficit that manifests as. So if you have um, I have, uh, friends who, who definitely fit the bill, who have had lots of injuries to their heads and they have found in the same way that you would address a mental health issue, they have used those alternative approaches, um, and, and addressed 
what they, you know, what they've been working through and these um, mental health symptoms, I guess, of their TBI. It's, it's difficult to separate it all out, but you definitely um, have some tools there. I think for people listening to, uh, there are centers who focus on this. So um, for active duty service members, uh, NICO, National uh, Intrepid Center of Excellence, um, they do a lot with, uh, with TBI and people who have severe deficits there um, from, you know, mild to moderate TBI. And then out here in Colorado, we have the Marcus uh, Brain Institute, and that's kind of more focused on the veteran side of things. But it's essentially rehabbing your brain. It is possible. Um, neuroplasticity is real. We know this. And, um, you know, people just need to, to have hope and put in the work. Sometimes the gains are small. But for somebody like your buddy, I mean, that is a severe injury, what it sounds like a severe injury, but also an extremely traumatic experience. So there could be multiple things at play there. Um, and with traumatic brain injuries too, you can be more susceptible to, um, the rewiring of your nervous system and your stress response in a, in a maladaptive way, it kind of crimes the brain in some ways. So again, throw the whole kitchen sink at it, you know, as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then that kind of leads into like your company, Doc. Like, what are what are you guys doing? I mean, kind of all encompassing. Can you take a second and brag about exactly what you guys are doing uh, to combat all these type of stuff uh, for the veterans and uh, for all of us people that are may or may not be crazy out there? Yeah. Can I see the the c word? Is that yeah. okay? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, so we're we're focused on. Um, Right now, our primary areas of interest, just because of where the, I mean, we, everything we do is, is government funding. So we have to kind of do what um, the military tells us the needs are. So um, right now we're focusing, we're focusing on some products for ocular trauma, which is totally separate. I mean, definitely nothing we've talked about today, but it's a really difficult problem um, on the battlefield because there's, you know, shield them and ship them. And there's like, there's no real good solution for anyone who sustained eye trauma and that anyone who's lost vision would tell you that they'd rather have a limb lost than eyesight. So, I mean, it's a severe problem and, um, there aren't great options for it. So we're working on a, a treatment for eye trauma in the field and that could be like chemical, thermal, mechanical injuries, uh, to the eye. Um, we're doing the same kind of thing for burn trauma, which, you know, resuscitation in the field and like a prolonged field care setting can be extremely difficult. Um, so we're trying to solve that issue. Another area that's near and dear to my heart is um, TBI. So we're working with um, uh, an organization that has um, really interesting technology to promote um, targeted brain cooling in the field. And I know this is a, a very controversial topic among um, neuroscientists and clinicians um, but we've seen some really incredible results thus far with this approach and granted it's been in animals. Um, but there have been people who have done clinical trials in humans as well. And so this is something that absolutely can be done. And, um, can I just pause you right there, yeah. Trent, can you just jump in from the sidelines here? Give me your best guess as to what uh, selected brain pooling is. Just go ahead and you have the floor. <laughs> so brain, brain cooling is when you take your IV full of, I don't know, cold liquid, <laughs> shove it up into your brain cool it off over the top <laughs> dump in ice yeah so it's what yeah weather people need most of the time is to have their brain cooled off <laughs> yeah okay no you know what that checks that's i thought i was going to get you on it i was wrong you you nailed it 
yeah, there's a, there's a number of ways you can do it. Um, you know, I think the, the easiest approach is nasopharyngeal. So just tubes up the nose um, that blow cold air on the nasopharynx and the blood that passes to the brain goes by that and uh, can potentially selectively cool just the brain rather than, you know, the entire body. So, which has obvious problems. Um, hypothermia is, is uh, part of this um, really complex trauma uh, issue in, in prolonged field care settings and in acute trauma care as well. Um, anyway, so that treatment, that treatment sounds awesome though. Yeah. I mean, it's probably like a really uncomfortable brain freeze, but I, I'd assume people would be unconscious for it. So hopefully it would not, um, <laughs> be that uncomfortable, but we'll, we'll see that. If they're my patients, they're going to be <laughs> that night guy. <laughs> so maybe that'll be out there uh, for you guys to use in, uh, I don't know, 10 years or so, whatever it takes to get through the FDA and those uh, giant hoops. But um, so that's, that's another area. And then outside of my company, and we're working on a, some other side projects too. We, there's a center for combat research here at the University of Colorado Medical School. So there's lots of cool stuff we're working on. Um, but in the volunteer space, that's where I work with all these organizations who are focused on um, veteran mental health and just mental health in general. So that's uh, the very little free time that I have. I try to just push it all in that direction, do whatever I can to um, destigmatize this this whole mental health thing and also just make people aware of other options so they can help themselves. Because ultimately, like I, I can't heal anyone other than myself and neither you guys can either. We can reach out, we can provide tools to people, but people have to kind of own that process and take it into their own hands. But they need to know, they need the information and they need to know what's out there for them. So um, just trying to spread spread that word. Absolutely. Uh, so guys, you guys got any more questions related to TBIs or mental health or anything like that? No, I, I don't specifically. I learned a ton. That was okay, awesome, Doc. Thanks. <laughs> Yeah, thanks, so, honestly, thanks for having me on. This is this is great. Really, oh, it's, it, we we appreciate it. And you know, as somebody who deals with brain trauma, um, it is much appreciated to know that there are people and organizations like yours and many others um, that are are focused on this. And and it's a real problem, and we got to get through it. You know, and that's it's almost to. To be expected after what nineteen years of, of fighting around the world, not just in Afghanistan, but you know, suicides are spiking, P PTSD is increased, and then you got people like me that just enjoy getting their bell rung with TBIs. <laughs> so, how can um, how can people find you on uh, your company and then on your social media? Um, they can find me. I'm on LinkedIn. Um, Kate Pate and the company Karuna Medical um, is uh, also linked to my LinkedIn page, and we have a website, but it's bare bones. We're you know small company, so we don't put our money towards websites these days. Um, and then, other than that, just the standard channels of you know Facebook and Instagram. Um, so, yeah, cool. All right, well, we'll make sure that we uh, tag you appropriately whenever we launch this thing, but. Awesome. Um, to, to all the folks out there that are that are listening or watching us on YouTube, um, mental healthness is nothing. Mental healthness, <laughs> mental <Love> health <laughs> is uh, is nothing to scoff at. And you know, if you find yourself that in that boat that you're hurting, reach out to somebody. If you recognize that that one of your friends or your buddies, or even if they're not your friend, is having a difficult time, help them out. Um, from my experience, 
we are quick to kind of outcast somebody because it's like, oh, they've got a problem and I can't, I don't have the time to deal with it or something like that. And in reality, we should be bringing those people in even more, not, not, you know, sequestering them someplace else. So, um, everybody, thanks for joining us. If you enjoy the episode, please leave a review. Tell us how good or bad we did. And then hit us up on uh, info at onesready.com for any questions you have, or you can hit us on the gram. And we appreciate you guys joining us. Let's go out there and earn each breath. Later. Later, Bernard. All right.